0: Welcome to Exploring Boys Education, a monthly podcast produced by the International Boys Schools Coalition. I'm Bruce Collins. In a February 2022 ASCD blog post, Nicole Kohlbecker writes that building an environment where all students feel like they belong requires a system-wide commitment to diversity, equity and inclusion. Moreover, Baruchi Kafele asserts that equity is a reflection of an educator's humanity towards the student he or she serves. He defines an equity mindset teacher as someone who utilizes a variety of appropriate instructional strategies that consider the differing academic, social, and emotional needs of each of the learners in a student-centered, culturally responsive, culturally relevant, barrier-free equity classroom where student individuality, student cultural identity, and student voice matter exponentially. Kafele asks the following crucial questions of us as teachers. Are your students visible or invisible? Is student cultural identity accentuated or denied? And is student voice distinct or obscure? As boys' schools around the world face the challenge of sustaining authentic and significant diversity, equity, and inclusion work, Dr. Derek Gay offers some key insights to teachers and leaders in boys' schools as they consider the best way forward for their communities. IBSC first partnered with Dr. Derek Gay in 2020 when he contributed to some of our online programming. Dr. Gay is a diversity and inclusion strategist who consults with organizations both domestically in the USA and abroad. Over the past 23 years, he has partnered with over 500 organizations across numerous sectors to deepen D&I capacity, enhance inclusion and engagement, attract, hire and retain the best talent, and design strategy to maximize business and education goals. In his work with schools, Derek engages with students, faculty, staff, boards, and parents. Before we explore this important conversation with Derek Gay, IBSC Interim Executive Director Amy Ahart joins us again to highlight upcoming programs in the IBSC newsreel.
1: Thank you, Bruce, and hello, listeners. I'm pleased to announce that we have three online classes coming up starting in May and July. From May 30th to June 26th, IBSC colleagues can register for our popular classes Responsible Sexual Citizenship in Today's World, The Challenges Facing Boys, and Single Gender Education, a course for teachers new to boys' schools. In addition, we're offering Single Gender Education, a course for teachers new to boys' schools, again starting on July 11, alongside our other flagship class, Boys and Belonging, creating inclusive and affirming schools for boys'. Get more information and register for these classes on the IBSC website. We're also looking forward to being together at the 2022 IBSC annual conference. This year's event will be hosted by St. Mark's School of Texas from June 26th through 29th in Dallas. Together we'll explore the theme, the path to manhood as we celebrate gathering in person again. Get the latest details on the schedule, speakers, workshops, and special events of this invaluable networking and professional development opportunity on the IBSC website. We hope you'll join us. Today, we look forward to hearing from Dr. Derek Gay. Dr. Gay has contributed to a number of IBSC programs on the topics of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Bruce, I'm looking forward to hearing today's conversation as you discuss sustaining this important work in boys' schools.
0: Derek, it's really wonderful to be speaking to you again, and also to welcome you to Exploring Boys Education. And I want to thank you again for sharing your insights with us on this important topic. You know, we've spoken about belonging, equity and inclusion and diversity work in schools a couple of times for some of our other IBSC programs. And it's a real privilege to have you here to share your insights with our Exploring Boys Education audience. So welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you. Delighted to be here. and looking forward to uh, continuing uh, the great conversations that we've begun.
0: Derek, I'm also grateful to Laurie Hamilton-Durbin, who's a mutual friend of ours, who's also the head of school at Town School for Boys in San Francisco. She's also an IBSC board trustee. I'm, I'm grateful to her for introducing us originally, and I know you've done some work in other IBSC schools too.
2: Indeed, really excited, particularly around framing this conversation for uh, for for boys' schools, single gender boys' schools.
0: So let's dive right into that angle. You know, as we consider the DEI work in boys' schools, and um, many of our schools are doing good work in this regard, I wonder if you can share some insight from your perspective into the opportunities or challenges that our schools' single gender identity presents to this work.
2: It's so a great question, and I may have mentioned this before in our last podcast as I think about this work i've really been framing it around the Chinese construct uh, for crisis right that character around the danger and the peril, and that character um, around just the important moment the salient moment here and what what is what is the opportunity and I've seen in fact many schools uh, really seize the moment. Um, it lost on anyone that the murder of George Floyd really was a watershed moment for many uh, schools, not only in the United States, but in my work around the world. Um, When I'm working in Italy, or France, or Colombia, or or Hong Kong, many have also noted that this was an important moment in their country's just awareness um, that there is work that needs to be done around inclusion and belonging. And some of the opportunities I've seen uh, schools take advantage of, there's been increased uh, professional development, absolutely, in providing educators, um, in particular, around content knowledge um, and facilitation and um, instructional practices to create and sustain a more uh, inclusive uh, classroom and school environments. There's also been um, an increased uh, number of of um, board work around this issue, which I think is critical. You know, I joke somewhat with my uh, colleagues who are other consultants, and I say, you know, I've done more board work in the last two years than I've done in the 10 years prior. So there's an understanding that the governance level also needs to engage uh, in this work around content, certainly. Also, depoliticizing the issue, which gets into one of the challenges. So this isn't a, a progressive issue. This isn't a conservative issue. This is an issue around really centering the lives of our students and thinking about the knowledge, skills, and competencies they will require to foster an inclusive learning environment, and also when they leave our schools and they go on to university and their vocations and the like, um, all of our schools have a commitment to informed citizenship, so what that might look like. So, again, the board piece I've seen as well. I've seen another opportunity. I've seen many schools providing that critical parent education um, as well. So while we were providing professional development for our faculty and staff, um, senior administration certainly engaging with the board, we saw a piece that was missing was the parent education are critical partners um, in this work. So schools have been, again, thoughtfully reaching out to parents to frame the issue, to provide research around what we know from child um, psychology, what students actually understand about themselves and what they actually understand about others as we get into that idea of what is uh, developmentally um, developmentally appropriate. Um, and also I've seen schools um, more... Deeply engaged in the research part of this work, actually um, engaging in climate assessments, where they have um, provided uh, anonymous surveys, engaged in focus groups to actually learn about the nature of inclusion and belonging in their communities. Relative, or rather, rather than guessing what inclusion is, or or measuring inclusion by what we're doing to them, assemblies we're having, or professional development our teachers have had, really asking um, our constituents, our students. Our families, our faculty and staff, our board members, our our alumni uh, about their experiences, and then as we would for any um, uh, area of change, to build out our, our our program and to build our strategy informed by those by those data. So those are some of the opportunities um, I I have seen in in our schools. You also asked about some of the challenges, um, and some of the challenges I have seen. Uh, One is depending upon the region of the world um, I've seen as we become less proximate to George Floyd, almost two years out, that some of the excitement um, around this work, some of the acknowledgement of the urgency, I've seen in some regions begin to peter out. Um, I've also seen this work unfortunately become um, politicized in ways that it shouldn't be and so we've seen resistance to the work as people have understood it as being antithetical to either their political ideologies or antithetical to their 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 value system. This idea of inclusion uh, is being viewed as antithetical to um, value system. I've also seen um, it being politicized in a way where even schools unknowingly have used terms that are inherently political to frame this work in a way that I found has been uh, polarizing, so I think the communication strategy could have been a bit more um, mindful and thoughtful um, around the work so some of those are some of the key challenges um, that, that i've that i' that I've seen as well
0: picking up on some of those challenges um, Derek, you know you've mentioned, and it's our experience too that in some parts of the world um, it seems like leaders and educators are caught in between the important work that needs to be done, and this resistance you spoke of um, from certain sectors of their communities. Um, I wonder if you could elaborate a little bit more, just in terms of your experience of this. Is is why why is there so much resistance in certain communities to this work in our schools?
2: First, I believe, um, and I have a, a, a TEDx talk where I talk about this. Often the word diversity becomes political um, in as much as there are just different understandings of the definition of of diversity, who's included in diversity, who benefits from diversity and who many people feel as if their background, their identity, their perspectives um, are not welcome in the diversity space. And so often I see that diversity is often serving as a proxy for historically marginalized groups um, be that around race, be that around gender, be that around sexual orientation, be that around socioeconomics, in ways that people who are part of dominant groups don't feel as if they're included by the construct. So even by the framing, often you get some type, um, some type of of resistance. The other pieces I mentioned is that many feel that it's inherently political. Um, that words such as anti-racism, words such as social justice, um, words such as equity. Um, are often viewed as antithetical to things such as character, for example, um, or to hard work, um, or to equality, right? Or um, just people having various levels of, of awareness, right? This idea that most people would espouse that they believe that all people should be treated equally. Most people, irrespective of their political ideology or their backgrounds, usually would say something like that. However, the degree to which people are aware that individuals are having different experiences informed by who they are, um, that's when we start having different understandings. And that's how this conversation often begins to to devolve in ways that aren't, aren't constructive.
0: Mm. It's almost to me like there's this, there's, this, there's, there's this polarized conversation where you have the extremes and people in the middle get sort of lost. They're, they're wanting to do the work, but they're getting lost.
2: Absolutely. I was speaking uh, last week. Um, I had the great fortune of uh, being on site, which was terrific, uh, in Brazil with the AMISA um, organization looking at the American schools in South America. And I spoke immediately about what you said, this idea of the polarization even around this work. I often hear people say, well, we need to you know, highlight only our similarities. Um, almost mutually exclusive to our differences. But I've also heard many people with the best of intentions say we're all different and we have to highlight only how we're all different um, without also recognizing that there are similarities um, across individuals. So a balanced, I think, calibrated approach is is, is important. Mm-hmm.
0: So what then, Derek, would your advice be to school leaders who are navigating this space and educators too who are at the call face as they are facing this kind of resistance um, to the work they're attempting to do? you know, how. I suppose it's not easy to overcome, but how might they go about framing this in a way that they can continue the work?
2: First, I would have some essential questions that I would offer um, leaders as they begin to deepen their engagement in this work. One is just even around the framing. Um, And I often, when I'm working with international schools and international organizations and businesses, I often ask, um, how does the word diversity actually resonate in your school? Um, Because often what I found is, particularly in international schools um, outside of the United States, it's viewed as this U.S. imposition um, that doesn't necessarily resonate with an international community, where international schools will will proudly share with me the number of languages that they speak or the number of nationalities that they have. And they will say, this diversity thing isn't for us because we're an international community. So I think taking stock of actually how does the word diversity resonate? And if it doesn't resonate, perhaps choosing another word, perhaps thinking about um, inclusion, perhaps thinking about belonging, perhaps thinking about intercultural competency this idea that folks from different backgrounds and nationalities and religions and the like will need to come together in a meaningful way around inclusion and belonging and around some of these things I know that all schools purport as being important around character, around um, uh, citizenship and the like. The second um, question I would offer to leaders is to explore um, as they ground this work what are the shared values that all community members appreciate and that this work has to be grounded in that. So if you ground this work in, in anti-racism, is that something that's understood by the community? Is that something that's valued by the community? Another question would be, um, is is belonging um, valued in your school? Most people will say yes. So if I frame this around belonging, and I frame this around our community, and I frame this around our interconnectedness, and we realize that certain members of our community are not feeling included, that provides a different um, entry point uh, for, for this conversation. I think also it's important for schools to articulate the why. And often I find that leaders move forward with this with an assumption that everyone is on board, everyone understands how they benefit personally. So, to, with your community, to articulate the why you're engaging in this work and how specifically this aligns with your mission would be important. And then I think the other piece is, um, as we think about change management, is that we need to expect that there's going to be resistance. There's always some form of resistance, and there's resistance because people care. Um, so, then how do you address the resistance um, in a way that acknowledges and affirms? people's right to question um, um, and right to disagree, but ultimately whether they are uh, agree with the final uh, direction of the school, that they have felt that they've had voice in the process and that the school also has created an argument where this um, aligns explicitly with the mission of the school, I think would be super important.
0: Suppose Derek, part of sustaining this work is moving from having conversations, which are obviously very important, and and talking about frameworks, to the actual practice of, of belonging and equity in schools. And and in your experience and your work around the world, what are some of the practices you've seen schools employ that are really helping them to do this work in a sustainable way?
2: I believe one way to transition. I like to say from courageous conversations to courageous actions is to first identify, um, what even the growth areas are. That is to say, to take stock of where the school is, to have some type of shared vision of where you want to go. And then the work that needs to be done is, is the Delta is the difference between, um, between those two points. The second piece I think important is also begin to, as we do in any, any, um, piece of work in our schools, is to actually hold ourselves accountable. I am um, still surprised working with schools um, where I ask, show me your plan. Show me your strategic plan around this work. And what often I hear is a series of discrete activities uh, about an assembly that we have, a speaker that we're bringing in, um, a, a meeting that we had, um, a, a parent session that we had. And I asked again, what are the objectives? What are the tactics? What are the timelines? Who's responsible and ultimately accountable for this? And I get blank faces. So if there isn't a strategy and there isn't accountability around this work, then it's very difficult, um, to move, um, to move to action. The other piece I think is important is um, that there's a sense of a shared uh, model or framework. So something very specific I've seen schools engage in is this idea of restorative practices or restorative justice. Um, so when there's an infraction in the community, someone uses uh, an unkind word um, or someone treats someone in a way that goes against our values around inclusion and belonging. And usually based on who, on who they are, usually based on their background identity, that there is a process and a model around how we will address these issues. Recognizing that there'll be uh, individual um, uh, aspects that will need to be attended to, but the restorative justice model is one where, at the very least you understand, there'll be some type of process. There'll be some type of naming of the harm that's been done. There'll be some type of education for the individual who has inflicted the harm. There'll be some t- restoration to the community versus a you're out um, or versus you're suspended for the day and there has been no learning. So at the very least, the community has a sense of the ways in which the school will methodically process uh, these issues and restore justice to, to, to the community. Mm.
0: Those are some fascinating insights, Derek. And I know that the breadth and the depth of this work is is obviously too significant to cover in one podcast interview. But I'm wondering if as we close, um, and before I ask you to share a little bit about the work that you do do with schools, I wonder if you have some words of encouragement for our member schools as they continue to commit themselves to this work of belonging, of equity, uh, of, of inclusion as they, as they work hard to, to sustain this work in their spaces? It's
2: so a terrific question. And of course, as you, as you intuit it, this is a, an entire workshop in and of itself. But there are some, um, some thoughts I have around uh, some critical strategies moving forward around cultivating, sustaining, an authentic uh, commitment to, to this work. Uh, one, as I mentioned earlier, is to think about the framing around the work. Is diversity the, 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 the most effective word you should be using? And if diversity is the word you're going to use to ensure that everyone in your school community feels as if they're part of that construct. Because we don't have everyone in diversity, we can't get everyone to inclusion. And the implications of not feeling included part of diversity often are resistance, disengagement, and the like. So I think that would be important. Number two, um, and this may f- sound self-explanatory, but this idea of actually articulating what success looks like, what success looks like in the short term, in the in the three to six months, um, and what success may look like in 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 two to to three years, um, because often in this space, I found that the idea that there needs to be work, the idea that we need to do better, most are on board with that. But actually, um, having a shared vision of where we're going um, is where we begin to to fall apart. If you don't have a shared sense of where you're going, often people feel as if they're just engaging in work, the sort of the hamster in the hamster wheel, without any tangible outcomes, which for many is demoralizing. Um, If you don't have those opportunities to articulate where you're going, to articulate those benchmarks, to celebrate those successes and to provide direction as to where you're going, Um, you lose um, the momentum. The third piece of advice I think would be really important is to really distinguish between being right versus being effective. And again, I've seen many schools move this work forward with the moral imperative. And while I personally feel that there's a moral imperative, we also understand a moral imperative is also incredibly subjective. Um, And if you're going to be strategic about this work, which is about being effective. There has to be this sense of, of of understanding your school's readiness. So, what is your school? What preparation have you done? And really, how far can you push in a meaningful way without um, doing irreparable harm? That then, three to five years, people are saying, "We well, tried this diversity work, um, and it, it, it just, it just, it just didn't work." Um, and then the last piece of advice that I would offer. Is that it is critical in this work to couple the intellectual piece with the emotional piece. And often, again, um, I feel that we often err on creating a logical, um, sort of uh, intellectual argument around this work when we know that um, what compels people into action is really the emotional piece. <clears throat> Empathy is understanding and caring about the feelings of others. We can engage in intellectual perspective taking, which doesn't, without the emotional piece, compel us into action. So providing a piece, a place for people to, again, in appropriate ways um, that they can really connect in a meaningful, emotional way, will go a long way with moving this work forward.
0: Derek, that idea of the heart work really resonates with me. I think even in my own journey, that's been an important part. Before we take our leave of you, Derek, and we're very grateful for your your time and your insights, um, I want to ask you to share a little bit about the work you do with schools and how people can engage with you if they'd like to reach out.
2: Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I feel really fortunate to have been engaging in this work in schools and other organizations now for the whole of my um, career, so for 20, 25 years. Um, and uh, my work essentially consists of supporting schools to ensure that they're living the missions of their schools as it relates to creating a space where all constituents understand and perceive um, a sense of belonging. Um, and that work takes many forms, from uh, professional development with faculty and staff to student assemblies <clears throat> to um, looking at um, strategy with senior administration, working with governance, working with parents. As someone who lived and worked in schools my entire life, <clears throat> all of these elements, um, strategical and tactical elements and education elements around diversity are part of my wheelhouse. And I feel incredibly fortunate that my passion um, is also my, my vocation. So.
0: And people can get hold of you through your website.
2: Absolutely, through my website, derekgay.com.
0: Derek, once again, you know, every time we connect and have an opportunity to speak, I'm I'm challenged. And I know that our audience is going to um, relish the opportunity to listen to the insights that you have shared. So I know we've had a brief time together today, but I, I think there's been a rich and and deep um, conversation about this work and, and really just appreciate your time. So, thank you for being um, on Exploring Boys Education. Thanks
2: so much, Bruce, and looking forward to the next opportunity to engage. I appreciate these sessions as well because it provides an opportunity for me. To synthesize the work that I'm engaging in uh, across countries and across schools um, in ways that allows me to better process. So I always say I get just as much or more from these conversations than, than perhaps you and, and, and the member schools. So thank you so much for the invitation.
0: We truly hope that this conversation has been of value to you as you consider your own journey as a teacher or leader and that of your school. Please remember that IBSC is here to support your work with boys. Don't hesitate to reach out to us at any time. I'm sure many of you are as excited as I am that in just over a month, we will be meeting together for the first time in three years in Dallas at St. Mark's School of Texas for the IBSC Annual Conference. If you haven't yet registered, head to the IBSC website to do so. And while you're there, check out the resources we have on offer member schools thank you so much for listening until our next episode keep safe and well